Take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 13 this morning. Acts chapter 13, and uh, we'll begin there in just a moment. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, after He rose again from the grave as He was speaking to His disciples, said this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, just a few moments before Jesus ascended back up into heaven, He looked at His disciples and He said, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We've been studying through the book of Acts together on Sunday mornings this whole year. We saw the Holy Spirit as He came upon the believers there in the upper room there, the 120 there on the day of Pentecost. And Peter, as he went out and began to preach on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. The church continued in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in breaking of bread and in fellowship together. And God blessed and the church was multiplied and people were added to the church daily such as should be saved. We move ahead in the book of Acts and read about Peter and John as they're preaching there and they heal the lame man by the temple and then some of the persecution begins and they're thrown into prison and then God sets them free and then later on all of the apostles were thrown into prison and God helped them to get free and God continues to do His work. There were great struggles along the way. The sin of Priscilla. I'm sorry, not Priscilla. Ananias and Sapphira. I always get those names switched around. Ananias and Sapphira as they lied to the Holy Spirit as they represented that they had given everything to God when in reality they had kept some back for themselves and then lied about it. Then we see the growing pains in the church as the church in Jerusalem has grown to the place that some of the people are falling through the cracks. Some of the widows are being overlooked in the daily ministration and so they bring in these men that they've looked out among them and found faithful men who can help to administer to the needs of these widows. And the apostles gave themselves to continually to the Word of God and to prayer. But then we read and we learned about Stephen, one of those men who was selected out to serve in a special way in the church. And Stephen, as he stands up to preach, as he's ministering and and sharing the gospel with these Grecians, these Hellenistic Jews. and They didn't like what he had to say at all, and so they brought him before the council and they decided to stone him. 
We read about that man, that guy, Saul of Tarsus, who was there consenting to his death and holding the coats for those who were stoning Stephen. And then it wasn't long after that that Saul is met by God on the road to Damascus as Saul is going to persecute more believers. And God saved Saul that day. Praise God for his work to save even the, as Saul called himself, the chief of sinners. Nobody's beyond the reach of God. Nobody's outside of God's ability to do His work to change and to transform somebody's life. But you know, God used that persecution brought about by Saul and others to scatter the church at Jerusalem so that they would continue on in the work, in the mission that God had sent them to do. He told them to go and reach Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. But they were pretty content to stay at Jerusalem until the persecution happened and began to force them to go elsewhere and to do what God wanted them to do. And the reality is, I think, in life and in ministry, we all tend towards comfort, don't we? Everybody wants a little bit nicer car, a little more comfortable couch, a little nicer bed. Now you can adjust either side to make the bed just like you want it to. And we all want just a little bit more comfortable and nicer clothing, a, a cell phone that works and doesn't break down all the time, a computer that stays running, a little bit nicer house, a, a new paint job. And I'm thankful for the comforts of life. Thankful for the comforts. Our, our chairs here now are a lot more comfortable than our seesaw pews that we used to have. You know, if you sat on one end, the other end would pop up and, and vice versa. And you used to have to sit strategically in the room because if you sat on the opposite end from a larger person than you, you'd probably be floating in the air for most of the service. And so God blesses us and helps us. And we're thankful for that, right? But I want to challenge our church this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. You say, well, I'm not from this. I just came here today. God is a challenge for you as well this morning. That we not get so comfortable that we're chasing after the creature comforts of life, even uh, the creature comforts that sometimes come in fellowship with other believers. But we're willing to be the church and be the individuals that God wants for us to be. You see, the church at Jerusalem had to be sent out by persecution. But in Acts chapter 13, we're going to examine the anatomy of ascending church. This is the church at Antioch, the first church that sent out missionaries. Why did they do this? How did they do this? It's not because the church at Antioch was a large church. We don't read anywhere that where it talks about the thousands being saved in Antioch like we do in Jerusalem. It's not because the church at Antioch was a particularly wealthy church. I believe it's because they were a faithful church, a healthy church that was obedient to God's Word. See, Christ had commissioned them. The Lord had sent them out. I think there's some things we can learn from this sending church this morning. The church at Antioch. We're just going to look primarily at three verses of Scripture this morning. Acts chapter 13. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, 
and Simeon that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may we learn from it and be challenged by it to be the church, to be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Lord had sent them out to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. You know, that command is, in, is incumbent upon us as well today. But you look at that command and you say, okay, Lord, you've told us to do this, but we have a few problems. We have a few reasons why we can't do that. There's, there's a people problem. Right? There's just only so many people that really want to do what needs to be done. And there's so many people that need to be reached. I mean, our, our world population is up to about 7.8 billion, almost to pass the 8 billion mark. How could we ever do that? Okay, well, maybe we can't get to the whole world, but maybe let, let's just focus in our own country. Well, there's 330 million people in the United States. I think it's 332.2 million at the last census. Well, what about in our own city? Well, we live in a city, greater Houston, 8 million plus people. Even in, in the Houston city limits, it's like 2.3 million now. Well, what about just our neighborhood? Well, you know, just here in Garden Oaks, Oak Forest, there's 57,000 plus people just right out our front door. You say, well, I don't even live right here in this neighborhood. Exactly. We could add your neighborhood to all the other places around. So there's a people problem. There's so much work to be done and so few to do the work. Jesus said it this way, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And there's, a, there's a training problem too. How do we help teach people to be able to do this? That, that takes a lot of work to get people to the place where they're able to do what needs to be done. We might often say, well, there's also a financial problem. You know, this is going to take a lot of financial resources, and we're very limited when it comes to that. I mean, we're doing our best just to be able to take care of our own needs, much less try to support something else and do something else beyond ourselves. You say, well, I understand all those problems, but the reality is there's just a spiritual problem. People don't want to hear the truth. We live in a dark day. People don't care about the truth. Well, when I read the book of Acts, I don't think that um, our day is any darker than theirs was. I think sin has always been pervasive because we're all sinners. It's not like people back in Barnabas's day were born a little bit better than people are today. So, well, the culture's bad today. It was really bad then. So we have all these reasons and all of these uh, potential problems, and I think we also have our own natural desires, I already talked about, to tend towards comfort. So what can we learn from this church this morning, the church at Antioch, about being a sending church? Well, notice, first of all, 
in verse 1, he gives us a list here of five different uh, men who were leaders in the church at Antioch. And he takes time to describe some bit of detail about several of these different leaders. I think it's interesting. He tells us that one of the leaders was Barnabas. We know that Barnabas was from Cyprus. He had been at the church at Jerusalem. Barnabas was the one when the church at Jerusalem began to hear about Gentiles being saved in Antioch that the church at Jerusalem said, send Barnabas and see what's going on over there. Barnabas was a man who was an encourager. Remember how we looked at how he encouraged and he helped to bring Saul into the church at Jerusalem. Barnabas was a giver. You can go back to chapter 4 and see how Barnabas sold some of his property and he gave it to the church to help to minister to those who didn't have enough. So Barnabas was clearly a great guy. Clearly God uses people like Barnabas. Well, let's look at some of the other people. There's a man here by the name of Simeon. All we know about him is that he was called Niger. Most scholars agree this is a Latin term that just means black. Say, Luke, why are you talking about this man's skin color? I think as you'll see here, we're going to learn some things about this church at Antioch. One of the things about it I think that was really unique that God used in the process of sending people, this was a diverse church. You got Barnabas, you got Simeon, you've got people from different religious backgrounds, you have people with different skin colors. You have people also from different countries. Lucius of Cyrene. This was a city in North Africa. People coming from different cultural backgrounds. Some people think perhaps he's mentioned in Acts chapter 11 verse 20, or not by name, but it's referring to him when it says, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. God uses people from different backgrounds, with different colors of skin, with different educational levels, from different countries. And look at this next guy, Manaen. What do we know about him? Which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, it was common during this time of history for a ruler, a prince, when he's growing up, for the, them to bring other children around for him to have friends and people to go to school with. And from our understanding of the word that's used to describe Menander being brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, he was like Herod's little childhood buddy that had been brought in to go to school with him. He would have rubbed shoulders with the people in the highest social circles of the day, the, the halls of power. That's where Menaean grew up. He would have been exposed to all the things that were available to a person of privilege during that time. That's Menaean. And here he is in the church. Aren't you thankful that God loves and he is not willing that any should perish? In other words, the gospel is available to people of high degree and social status, and it's available to people of low degree. It's available to those who have great privilege and those who come from nothing. And then he tags on the end, and Saul. 
Well, we already know a lot about Saul. Luke doesn't have to tell us anymore. We know where Saul came from. He's the murderer. He's the man that persecuted the church. Oh, but now God is using him in his work. If this is what the leadership of the church at Antioch looked like, just imagine what the rest of the church must have been made up of. This is a diverse church. And I believe this is important. I think Luke included this for a reason. Because this was an important piece of who this church was. And I believe why then this church was a good sending church. You say, well, why? Well, I think if we're going to be a healthy church that's able to send others out in the work of God, we need to understand that God can and will use anybody if they're willing and submitted to Him. We're not checking your credentials at the door and say, well, you weren't born in the right neighborhood or you didn't go to the right school or your accent is different than mine or your skin color is different than mine or you don't live on my street or my car is nicer than yours or my house is bigger than yours or you haven't been in church as long as I have or you look a little bit different than I do. No, if we're going to be a church that's a healthy church, I think we have to be a church that realizes that God can and will use Now, I want to point out that Manan wasn't still living like he had been living when he was in the court with Herod. If, if he didn't know Christ at that point, clearly he's been transformed. Now he's a prophet and a teacher of the Word of God. So there was somebody that helped Manan to grow. There was somebody that helped Barnabas to grow. There was somebody, we know who some of those people were, that helped Saul to grow. Understand, God uses all kinds of different people, and He takes them from all kinds of different places but centered around and unified around the person and work of Christ. That's where we find our cohesion. That's where we find health. That's where we find the growth that God wants us to have. So this church is not so much a celebration of diversity, but rather a celebration of the unity that we have in Christ. But understand, God brings people from all walks of life. And if we're going to be a church that is faithful and growing and healthy, we've got to understand, hey, your experience, your background, the things you understand, where you got your education, where you live, God can use all of that and put it together and make a great church. I'm so thankful that God isn't building a church here with a bunch of clones. Because the first time anybody else walked in, whoa, what in the world did I just give up? Hey, this isn't a church. This is a cult, right? Sometimes we're trying to get people to look like us instead of saying, no, the goal is to be like Jesus. You know, in a church that God is at work at, clearly God's at work in this church, there's people from all different places. And I believe God included this for a reason for us to understand more about what made this church unique. God saved you for a purpose. He's called you out for a purpose. And God has placed you here this morning on purpose. Let's not make excuses. Well, you don't understand where I grew up. It'd be easier for us to say, well, Manan, when you had the opportunity, why didn't you punch Herod in the nose? Well, he might have. He grew up with it. 
Look how bad Herod was. God saved my name too. Oh, Saul, I, I'm not even sure I want to be around that guy. Look at his past. How can I even be in the same room with him? He might just flip, flip his switch and go back the other direction. No, they understood the grace of God that has the power to transform lives. We ought to say like the prophet Isaiah, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. Lord, here I am with all that you've given me. It's not very much. Some might be their widow's mite. Some might be the little boy with his two, two loaves and five, or five, I can't even talk this morning, five loaves and two fish. Some might come with their little bit. Some might come with their lot. But either way, it all ought to be for the Lord and say, Lord, use me. It's easy to come into church and say, well, I don't measure up. I don't know the things that they know. I, my experience hasn't been as good as theirs. God can use you. We see the diverse membership of this sending church. But go back to our text, verses 1 and 2. It says, it emphasizes for us here that there were certain prophets and teachers in verse 1. And then in verse 2, it speaks about what they were doing as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, maybe I was just at camp too long this week, so... I know my points are all alliterated. Some of you may like that. It may bother some of you. But I had fun coming, trying to think of words that helped us to remember this a little bit better. Not only do we see the diverse membership of the sending church, we see the dedicated ministry of this sending church. You see, God hasn't put us here just to kind of sit around and then just send some people out from here or, or send some missions dollars overseas. The church at Antioch didn't become a sending church by just sitting and doing nothing. No, the church at Antioch was faithfully serving God in Antioch. In fact, the testimony of what was going on in Antioch was so great that it made it all the way to Jerusalem. It was the first place where many Gentiles were coming to Christ it was the first place, I'll remind you, that the disciples were called Christians. This was clearly a group of people that looked different. They were unique. They were on purpose, dedicated in their ministry to the Lord. And here it tells us there were prophets and teachers. They were ministering to the Lord. They were praying. They were fasting. We already know they were evangelizing. This was a church that was faithful to proclaim the Word of God to explain the Word of God, and to live out and to obey the Word of God. I hope that when you come to church on Sunday morning and we gather together that you will hear God's Word proclaimed, preached, that you'll be exhorted and challenged. But you know what? I can challenge you to do something, and if I don't teach you how to do it, you probably won't get very far. I could get up in the morning and say, Boys, go mow the grass. But if they don't know how to turn on the lawnmower, if they don't know how to change out the weed eater string, if they don't know the proper way to go about it, probably my yard is not going to get mowed. Or if it does, it's not going to look very good. If we're going to have a church that's a healthy church, yes, there's the proclamation of truth. That's what they were doing in that prophetic proclamation sense of truth. But there's also teachers 
We read back in Acts chapter 11 that Barnabas and Saul spent over a year teaching in the church at Antioch. So why do they need so much teaching? Because if you're going to learn how to do something, you can't just be challenged to do it. You need to be taught how to do it. And that's why I hope when you come here, you won't just hear challenge from the Word of God. You'll also be instructed in the Word of God. You come back in the evenings. Normally we have classes and teaching on things. We have people during the morning service and during, during the evening service, during Wednesday night, meeting and teaching and instructing one another as they study God's Word together. That's important. Because you can get fired up, but if you don't know what to do, it's, you're not going to go very far. You can't go very far on just passion alone. You have to have some knowledge and instruction of what you're supposed to do. They were teaching. They were preaching. We know they were evangelizing. They were praying. They were fasting. This was a church that was dedicated in its ministry. If we're going to be a sending church like the church at Antioch was, not a, not a forced sending church like the church at Jerusalem that had to be persecuted into sending, but a, a church that's diligent and obedient and willingly sending people out, you got to understand it takes a diverse group of people to do that. And we have to be diligently dedicated serving God right here, right now, where we are today. It's not like they were sitting around saying, well, when this happens, then I'll give. When, when this takes place and my life gets all just right, then I'll go tell somebody about Jesus. No, they were doing it right where they were. It was a diverse church. It was a dedicated church. And we see it was a diligent church, the diligent mission of the sending church. Several years, I've been enjoying my uh, Facebook memories that have been popping up this week. Four years ago, we took our first group from Arise Baptist Church to summer camp. We had three campers. Two of them were related to me. And then another little girl who was our neighbor here. And we went off to camp in my minivan. Well, this week when we pulled out, we had three large vans and a minivan tagging behind. And with our drivers, we had over 40 people go to camp this week. Well, that's exciting. It is. I got a picture with all these people up here. Last Sunday, they were stretching almost from wall to wall up here to pray for them. Tonight, you get to hear their testimonies. That's exciting. You know, five years ago, my Facebook memories are popping up. I, clearly, I don't have much memory. I just get on Facebook and say, Facebook, tell me what to remember. I, I, I hope I can do better than that in life. But anyway, so I get on. You know, five years ago, I didn't even live in Houston. I was with my teens and my youth group in Indiana. It's amazing what God can do in five years. I, I hadn't met most of you five years ago. I hadn't met most of you three years ago. Isn't that interesting? You know, five, four years ago, in August, this August, so next month, uh, my cousin, Heather, was getting married here in Houston. I remember it well, not because I just remember my cousin's anniversary so well, it's because of something else that happened at the same time, because the Lord was working in our heart about coming here to Houston to start the church. So, sorry, I said four, five years ago in August. And so I was flying down to Houston for the wedding. And I remember my brain's 
churning as I'm thinking, boy, we're thinking about moving back to Houston and starting this church and doing all these things. And we're flying in to Hobby and look down in the evening and see all the lights of the city. And I remember praying, Lord, help us to reach this city here. Lord, give us this city. Lord, this city needs to know about Jesus. I know there are other churches around, but Lord, there need to be a lot more places preaching the gospel. There just aren't enough. Help us to do our part. I pray that if the Lord doesn't return in the next 30 years, that maybe this isn't just the one church in Houston as we got to be a part of helping New Life start last year and they've been seeing people come to Christ and growing in the Lord and, and, and we got to help Brother Donnie this spring as he's getting started over in Lumberton and getting that little group going. They got to have their first baptism, I just heard from him, since he's been the pastor. So that was exciting. They've been having 40-plus people there every Sunday. That's exciting. As we continue to see God's work go forward, it's my prayer that 100 or more new churches will be started in the next 30 years. So, well, that'd be great. But how does that ever get done? It's one thing to dream about it. It's one thing to talk about it. But we see a church at Antioch that was diligent in their mission that started by being obedient to what God had called them to do right there at home. Sometimes we get so focused on the needs over there and we feel good because we sent some money to help people over there that we aren't faithful to do what God's given us the opportunity to do right You have neighbors, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have family members that need the Lord. I understand not everybody wants to listen all the time. Not everybody's ready to respond all the time. But I believe if you'll live a consistent Christian life and you'll consistently share the message of the gospel, God will give you opportunities to lead people to the Lord. We sometimes miss out on opportunities we might take otherwise because we're not being obedient and faithful where we are. Notice their diligent mission. Look at verse number 3. It says, When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. See, the Holy Spirit was the one who called Barnabas and Saul. We read there in verse 3 how they laid their hands on them. Understand, this was not the church calling Barnabas and Saul to serve the Lord. This was the church confirming the people that God had already called. Now, this is going to bring up a very important question. How do you know when God has called somebody? Is it because they just came forward and prayed and said, I think God has called me? No. Because they just raised their hand and said, hey, Give me some money. I think I've been called to go to the other side of the world. Oh, give me, yeah, give me some money. I've been called to go back to Houston and live down the street from my parents and, you know, start a church and call up some of my friends and we'll all get together and have church and it'll feel good because I can live close to home. My kids can be with grandma and grandpa. You know, there were a few people that thought that's what we were doing. We had, Shandy knows what I'm talking about. We had somebody come up to him. I understand. You know, I know why God's called you back to Houston. It's because your parents live there. <laughs> Some people, that's, that's all it takes for them to call it God's call in their life, right? 
just be close to home. Not wrong to be close to home. But how do you know when God has called you? How do you know when the Holy Spirit calls somebody out? Did the Holy Spirit come down and say, Barnabas and Saul? Did, did the Holy Spirit come into their deacons meeting? Barnabas and Saul? What happened? How did they know? I think we can see it in the example of how Barnabas and Saul were living their lives up to this point. They were faithfully serving God right where they were. God was using them to make an impact on the people that they were serving there through their teaching and preaching ministry, through their evangelistic work that they were doing right there in Antioch. And it became very clear to the other believers that God wanted to use Barnabas and Saul to continue on to do this work. Oh, and by the way, I think not only were they just watching the example of Barnabas and Saul, we know these were prophets and teachers. They were being faithful, Barnabas and Saul, to instruct the church and these other men instruct the church in the Word of God. Do you think perhaps they were thinking back and saying, wait a minute, remember what Jesus said, that we were going to be witnesses unto Him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, uttermost part of the earth? Well, what's the church at Antioch doing about that? I mean, it's exciting seeing Jews and Gentiles. It's exciting that some people are noticed us and they called us Christians. That's exciting. But what are we doing to be faithful to what God wants us to do? You see, I, I would say it this way. I think I put it in your notes. Future opportunities grow from present obedience. Say, well, how do you know if the Holy Spirit's called? Are you being obedient to what He's called you to do right now? Because the Holy Spirit's called you to do some things right now, right where you are. If you're waiting for some secret, spooky whisper in your ear to tell you to obey the Lord, God's already told us in His Word what He wants us to do. You see, if we expect some future work, some amazing thing to take place, we need to be willing to be obedient right here and walk by faith what God's given us. You say, well, what's God given us? Well, He's given us opportunities to live by faith, to share the gospel where we live. He's given us opportunities to be faithful in our finances and our giving right here where we live. He's given us opportunities to serve right here in our own local church. You say, well, man, I think God might have something more for me someday. Praise the Lord. Well, be faithful right here where you're at. You see, the call of the Holy Spirit upon Barnabas and Saul became very evident because they were already walking in the Spirit. Those who think they're going to experience some call of the Spirit when they're not already walking in the Spirit, I think it's highly unlikely that they're going to be able to sense the nuanced directions that the Holy Spirit has for them if they're not at least committed to obeying Him right here where they're at right now. What has God called you to do in being obedient today? I understand I can give you excuses for why I don't do more things or don't do other things or why I have this or why I have that. And I think it's important for every Christian to constantly be evaluating their own lives and say, Lord, here's where you've put me today. Here's what finances you've given me. Here's the health that you've given me or not given me. Here's the time that you've given me. Here's the situation that I'm in. And Lord, from this situation right here, right now where you put me, how can I serve you faithfully today? Remember, we've talked about it here before, the story of the talents, the rich man who left each of his servants and one he gave one and one he gave two and one he gave four or five, depending on which story you're reading. 
And when he came back, he expected each of them to have invested what had been entrusted to them by the master so that they could have more to use for the master's work. It's easy to make excuses. Well, my background's not as good as their background, or my financial situation's not as good as their financial, or my health just isn't as good as their. I can't do what they can do. That's okay. God may not have called you to do what they're doing, but God's called you to do something right where you are. I, I love, uh, my mom and dad know this guy, Brother Titus, at our church. And I remember even late into his 80s, he would come to by the church every week to get some more gospel tracts to share and to pass out. And I said, Brother Titus, where are you passing these out? Like, he's so old, there's no way he can knock all those doors and talk to all those people. He said, my mission field is the doctor's office. He said, I spend most of my time there now. And he said, you'd be amazed at the people that are just open to hearing what God has for them. Yes, God may have changed your situation. Yes, God may have given you different abilities than somebody else. That's why we see a diverse church in Antioch. That's why we see a church that's dedicated to the ministry that God had given and diligent about the mission that God had put them on. Why were Barnabas and Saul selected out? Well, God had a unique plan for them. But think about this. God didn't pick Barnabas and Saul because Manan and, and Lucius and Simeon were bad guys. Because guess what? Somebody had to stay in Antioch and keep preaching and keep serving the Lord right in Antioch. Yes, God had a plan. And we, we're, over the next I mean, weeks and weeks, we're going to be studying all these missionary journeys and all the work that Paul and Barnabas and Saul and Barnabas and, 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 and Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark and all these different peoples. They travel around and do the work of God. They say, wow, that's amazing. And we trace over there and we forget. There was still a church at Antioch serving the Lord right there with Manan and Simeon. No, we may not read about them in the book of Acts, but I guarantee you someday we'll get to meet them in heaven. See, God had a plan for each and every person. God's plan for you, it doesn't matter if it includes you getting name recognition and glory. That's not what it's about. I hope that someday people don't say, wow, look at, look at Pastor Will. I hope they just say, wow, look at Jesus and look what he's done. Look at what the Spirit's done. Look at what God has done in that place. That would be much better. Future opportunities grow from present obedience. And then the church's responsibility is the recognition of and resourcing of mission work. Remember they laid hands on it? They were recognizing God at work in these men. Because it's evident. We can see the change in Saul. We can see the growth in Barnabas. We can see God blessing through their ministry. So they were... It was evident to the rest of the church. And I would say this in your life. If you believe God's calling you to do something greater, is the work of God right now evident in your life? Or would somebody be surprised if you came up to them and said, well, actually, I think God's called me to do this. Really? You? <laughs> well, you don't even serve the Lord right here, so how, how would you ever do it over there? See, the calling was evident to the church. The calling was clarified through fasting and prayer. The church took time to say, let's pray about this. Let's 
get before the Lord. We're going to put food aside for a while because we want to take time to make sure that this is what God is doing. And that's a good thing to do. We sometimes like to rush into stuff and get it done. Let's take time to pray about it. Let's consider, is this what God wants us to do? Is this how God wants us to give, where God wants us to go? But that shouldn't keep us from serving God right here, right now. Just make sure when He sends you that it's God sending you and not just your own personal desires. Or, hey, that might be fun or interesting because you'll burn out and probably won't continue if you go in your own strength. And then we see the calling was acted upon as they sent them away. It could have been easy for the church in Antioch to say, oh, this is going to be so hard. Saul and Barnabas, they've been such a blessing to our church. I mean, these were the guys who came. When no one else came, they came, and they were teaching us. They were helping us. We we're growing. We can't do without Saul and Barnabas. God, can't you just keep using them right here at Antioch? Send someone else. No, God sent their very best. You know, God wants our very best, doesn't he? I'm thankful that they were faithful to the calling. They acted upon it and they said, all right, we're going to pray. We're fast. We're clear. This is what God wants. All right, we're sending you out. And we can read later on. We know that they, they were sent out with prayer support. They were sent out with financial support. They were sent out with just the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ who were loving on them. You know, later on we'll read about Paul and or Saul and Barnabas, I keep calling him Paul because we're about to call him that next week. But anyway, we keep we, we'll see them come back to Antioch. Why? Because they're giving a report to the church, telling everybody what happened. Why? Because yes, they were sent out, but they came back because they wanted to share in the goodness of God and let them know, hey, yeah, I know we weren't here serving God, but you still have a part in this church at Antioch because you sent us out. You know, God may send people out from this place. We'd be sad to see him go. But at the same time, we ought to be excited about God's work continuing someplace else. In another city, in another part of town, in another country, in another state, whatever it might be. Now, this morning you came by yourself or you came with your family. And as you hear this message this morning, you say, well, that, that sounds good kind of for a whole church philosophy, thinking about ministry. But I want you to understand, a church is not just a big homogenous group. It's made up of individual body parts. It's a body. That's, that's why we're talking about this anatomy of ascending church. Because when you study the anatomy of something, you're not just looking at it as a whole. And we've seen some things as a whole. It, it was diverse. They were dedicated. They were diligent. But remember, it's made up of individual people. And that's you and that's me. This morning, have you let your past or your lack of ability or education be your excuse for why you're not serving God with what you have? I realize you may not have as much as the person next to you. Now, you, some of you just looked at the person next to you and you said, well, I got a lot more than they do, right? No, you may think that. That's not the point, right? Look at yourself in the spiritual mirror this morning and say, Lord, I'll take what you've given me and I'll use it for your glory.
I'll take the, the career that you've given me, the, the finances that you've given me, the health situation that you've given me, the place, the house, the apartment, the car, whatever it is, Lord, it's all yours. Would you do that this morning? Say, Lord, I'm not going to make excuses anymore. Because God uses all kinds of people. Maybe this morning, as you think, we were challenged about this at the junior camp this week, to be praying for those around us who need Jesus. But he challenged the young people. He said, don't just pray generally. Pray for all the people to be saved in the whole world. He said, I, I would challenge you to have a name of somebody. At least one name. So you, know, you, you want to be encouraged to go witness? He said, I can tell you, go witness. But he said, if you pray for that person by name every day, you're going to be a lot more motivated to share the gospel. Do you have a name? Not your name, but a name of somebody else that you're praying for that you could share Christ with? Well, I don't know. I, I met them the other day, but I don't know their name yet. Well, that'd be a good step. I've lived next door to them for five years, but I don't know their name. Well, that'd be a good step. Get to know your neighbor, right? I work with them. I see them all the time. Pray for them by name. Do you have a name? Do you have somebody you could pray for? And if we ever expect God to make us into the sending church, I think that God wants every church to be, you being faithful to serve God right here, right now with what God has given you. As we come to this end of this service, the preaching time, now it's time for us to respond. A response, yes, sometimes looks physical, like people get up and walk around, they come to the front and pray. But the real response is a response in your heart. It's a response of obedience, of surrender, of Confession of commitment to the Lord. I know we've focused on this sending church idea this morning, but in so doing, I feel like we've hit it at a lot of different places. So what the Lord has spoken to you about may be different than what the Lord has spoken to someone else about. That's okay. So right now, as we, I'm going to close the service in a word of prayer, the preaching portion. But I don't want you to pack up your stuff and get ready to run out the door. Right now in your seat, in your spot, I want you to think through what we just talked about. Lord, the diversity you've given me, where, where am I from? The things I have, how can I use those for you? Lord, the, the ministry that you have for me right here, right now, and maybe it's going to be somewhere else a few months or years from, that's fine, but the ministry you have for me right now, am I dedicated to that ministry. Then, Lord, am I, am I diligent in seeking the leading of the Spirit to continue to follow the mission that you have for us to reach this world? Let's pray. And then you respond as well. Lord, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Lord, I pray this morning that our decisions, our commitments, our confession to you would not be motivated out of what someone else 
may or may not do. But rather we would be sober-minded, serious in our commitment to follow you because we love you and you love us. Help our church. Help each one that's here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.